to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello, audience, and welcome to this, episode 162 and a half of The Big Red Couch. Here in merry, jolly, and lovely old England, where the... Early morning traffic is out in force, as you may be able to hear in the background if Ben hasn't been able to clear it out of the signal. I am Craig. Oh, those stains won't come out, I'm afraid. And that was Ben. <laughs> right. So the traffic of the traffic of Aylesbury is immortalized for all time on this thoroughly obscure podcast. Okay. I'm sure they'll be happy. I don't want them to be happy because they're noisy and annoying, but I'm sure they'll be happy. So this is episode 162 and a half, which is a slight break from our normal numbering system. And that's because it's a mailbag episode. I feel like there should be a joke in there, but I'm not seeing it. <laughs> I was, I was going to say something unkind, but you know, I, I, I stopped myself for the last second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Audient, if you can think of the joke I should have made there, please write in. I, I'm blanking on this one. I'm very sorry. I've let you all down. So we've had audience suggestions for... A few episodes, but because we've started having guests on the show, that's made the episodes longer. And if we add even more content to them, we end up at like a two and a half to three hour long episode. And that's sort of getting into Happy Jacks, Gutter Skypes, or Monkey Took My Jetpack uh, territory. And we're just not interesting enough to carry that off. So instead, we're going to have a mailbag episode. We're going to go through the, the audience ideas because we like to hear audience ideas and we like audience ideas to be heard. But we also like to not do three hour long episodes. It is best not to do three hour long episodes. And scheduling can become a bit nightmarish if, they've also, if folks also have to stick around to hear us read other people's letters. So this seems like a good compromise. Time zones are annoying things. Hmm. Yeah. To be fair, we have decided to play the podcast on hard mode with two people on pretty much the opposite sides of the world to each other. Uh, practically anywhere else I had moved to would have been better, but no, I had to move to England. Yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. We could have three hosts and be on the equilateral sides of the world. I'm not sure where the third one would be at the moment. Somewhere in America, I suppose, just to make it extra annoying. We recorded at least one when I was living, if you can call it that, in a hostel in Edinburgh, where because of the time frame, there was you in, sorry, you in New Zealand, there was Charlie in Canada, and there was me in a small alcove off a stairwell at two in the morning. That lent a certain something to the, uh, the texture of the audio, I feel, definitely. I mean, I was right by a radiator because it was quite, it was, it was nice and warm. Um, hmm. And because it was two in the morning, very few people used the stairwell. And I think only one set of them actually noticed me. Like some people just crashed right by and never, never even saw me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. The common old garden podcaster lurking in your stairwell. I'm, yeah. sure there's, uh, I'm sure there's urban legends. I'm just imagining a raccoon wearing a headset. <laughs> so, so we have some audience ideas. And the first audience idea in a slightly weird way, comes from a previous guest on the show, and I'm going to leave it up to Ben to explain this. All right. 
we were very, very fortunate to have Manu as our guest on Big Red Couch 162. So you'll love, if you're listening in order for some weird reason, you'll have, you'll have just, you'll just listen to that. Um, but they were originally scheduled to appear on 160, which was Laser Plated Hero. But we could not make ours and her schedules align. So we still have the, uh, the notes that were made for an idea for that one. And the notion is ground that we have, we've brushed up against before, but that the party are functioning as a support squad for a hero named Laser. And the structure is that Laser, the hero, is to, is to be witness performing all of the, the acts of daring do and doing conspicuous, courageous stuff you know, in extreme peril and generally carrying on like a big damned hero. They're supposed to win and triumph and survive, so they have the the, the players are the hero roadies, the, the the retainers and followers who make sure things actually go off according to plan. However, they can't be seen to overshadow the hero, so they don't have any official weaponry or gadgets of their own. So there might be a, I get the impression it might be a, a degree of stunt person skills involved and uh, other sorts of misdirection. Mm. So yes, the uh, players are attempting to uh, manicure or curate the hero's acts of um, of heroism without getting in the limelight themselves. And the more risks they're taking, well, they may need to take extra risks to ensure that the, uh, the thing's pulled off, but it's at the uh, potential of them being outed as being the real heroes, which apparently leads to awkward conversations and maybe... Um, termination of some depending on the setting is termination of some sort yeah either of them or just of their contract yes okay shades of hero support from sky high yes yes the sidekick thing this is even more um harshly delineated it's not just like a b tier it's sort of like seen and not heard levels Mm. it's a very cynical look at um superheroes which let's face it is fun Mm mm-hmm so effectively, the uh, yes, the, the the players have tools at their disposal that aren't strictly normal um, everyday sort of technology. Depending on where you're setting it, if if it's a fantasy setting, you've got some magic that people wouldn't normally know about. And if it's if it's more modern, there are gadgets involved. And I suspect there might be. I wouldn't be shocked if there was leeway for you to do um, extracurricular heroing or have your own agendas or things to pursue when you're not doing the um, the big damn hero support. Because, actually, I find that making it real Morning Ralph, Morning George, 9 to 5, punch card, kind of, but actually have the interesting stuff, the really dramatic stuff, maybe take, maybe even allied, actually, some of the, um, the, the heroic things. And so you have to deal with real problems. You know, those things that come up when you're at work and suddenly put in perspective what the thing you've been doing all morning how pointless it might be yeah something like that hmm it I've, I've i've mentioned sky high there's also i forgot the name of it but the the last spider-man film there have been many far from home it's basically spider-man goes on a trip to europe not seen that one but i will dis. I will not do um, not do any spoilers, but 
it's a Marvel movie. It's 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 my own it's my own damn fault if I haven't seen the uh, the all encompassing cultural juggernaut that we must enjoy before our corporate masters. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> fair, fair enough. In that case, there is a um, there is a new hero who turns up from another dimension. This turns out to be a complete fake. Yeah, it kind of puts me in mind of that that you've got this support crew who are are making the hero look good, depending on the. I suppose, it, yeah, depending on the circumstance, you've got, got to wonder, yeah, what do they do if they realise the hero's going into a fight that the hero cannot possibly win? Like, do they just quietly nip mm. out and kill the opponent ahead of time? How much of a complete tool is the hero? That is an important factor. Yeah. It'd be kind of fun if they weren't. If they were just well aware of the fact of, these guys make me look good, therefore... I mean, equally, you can have fun with them being a total dickhead. Yeah, you can go either way, and it'll still be entertaining. Yeah, and actually, yeah, we've also brushed up against hero support with the the speed racer esque mm. idea. That was that John's idea, or I think so. I cannot remember the. Oh no, it was it was? Mm. I know John had an idea for that, and I know it mentioned speed. It had an idea that mentioned speed racer because there was the whole thing with the ninjas or the ninjas these days kind of thing. But Just I cannot remember what episode that was for. Um, it was a little while ago. It was past um, Chunk Weasel. Oh goodness, we've done a lot of these things. <coughs> Hobbos. Ben, at this point, is just saying random phrases. <laughs> um, I yes, it was from Power Drift. That would make sense. Yeah, so that was from yeah that yeah that was all the way back in hundred forty two. So for for the uh, prompt power drift and the idea of having the douchebag racer. So this this kind of this might be even a possibility to do like another another sort of leg of a triangle here where the hero the heroes be whatever they are that plays into how you deal with them. But also it's not your whole life. You're not on a spy mission. You're not in a race or a series of races. You're trying to do your nine to five job, keeping the local, you know, the local professional superhero in tights and smoke bombs and so forth, making sure they've got everything they need. Plus, doing some of the um, some of the more remarkable sort of last minute saves and the like. But you're also trying to keep your own existence together. I mean, maybe you have dreams of you know going pro yourself. Maybe you want to become a, a hero. And have your own set of wranglers. How do you how do you do that? Do you do it with the support of your the support of your team? Do you go independent? Do you just trying to make sure that you you can get off in time to pick the kids up from school? And how that all plays together could be really interesting. It it sounds like it could be a species of masks, except not quite. Yeah, maybe maybe not masks, but sort of certainly taking that um, that sort of apocalypse world strongly typed is perhaps the wrong word but strongly typed characters hmm the, yeah. The, yeah you've you've got the the special effects wrangler you've got the i'm i'm don't think it it, it may lend it to itself more to the i do things in a certain way of uh, fate accelerated or something like that these are my approaches mm. these, are, these are the stunts that i can do these are what i'm good at but also it would be uh, having aspects to compel like foster foster dad or new hero in a high school or things like things sort of things that you can prod at more that 
mm. more than it being a, a sort of a, a thing of attrition and, and risk on that level. Buttons uh, you can press, could, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so things to deal with and tools to deal with them, but less of the that kind of real sort of in-your-face kind of mechanic that you tend to get with an apocalypse world sort of thing. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. Hmm. I do, I do like the idea. Yeah. Yeah, as if there's a lot of scope with the difference, like the different dynamics of this hero is a, is a complete, just not going to call anyone out in particular, but there have been some uh, folks that everyone thought was wonderful have been uh, identified as actually being controlling monsters. Um, yeah. Or... Or maybe maybe they're just they, they just happen to be maybe maybe laser as the as the uh, the um, name suggests means that they're just all showy holograms and they're pretty good at that and they're a great sort of stage presence kind of thing but push comes to shove they're practically speaking a light show interesting so jubilee but useless jubilee but less oh or has gotten there. I mean, maybe because of people's preconceptions of superheroes, maybe people go, aha, they must be able to do all these amazing things. Like, no, I can only really do lights. Sorry, we've already um, contracted you out to uh, search and rescue and so forth. It's like, if it's dark, I can help. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can put big arrows. Um, Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I'd, I'd been wondering along the lines of a superhero who's... I'm not, I'm not going sort of full on. This is geriatric superhero, but a superhero who is is past their prime and is relying on the support crew to basically make them look good, keep them relevant somehow. Yeah, whatever reason it is, maybe they they were their power set was was massively oversold, and then they're struggling to to keep up, or things have changed, or yeah, maybe that. Yeah, maybe they they their their power is diminished, so they're leaning on their support team more and more to get them out of situations. Or maybe they're just not, or maybe they're like a, an adrenaline junkie, or they're just throwing themselves in situations that they shouldn't for some reason. And mm. your 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 nightmarish lot is to keep this glory hound alive, but also watch them do the thing over and over. While trying apparently to get themselves killed, and they're your meal ticket. Maybe, maybe like hero support is very niche. Maybe, maybe you're not you're not able to sort of you're not sure if you can break into like another sort of support group or something. So you, you don't want them to fall off that building because that would just screw up everything. Hmm. <laughs> I am. I, I am imagining the hero laser sort of having been. Yeah. Effectively, if you got like a. A, a Vegas sideshow magician who, right place, right time, and total fluke, was able to to sort of do something impressive in front of the cameras using their powers and became this overnight sensation of being a a crime fighting superhero. And now they're just kind of stuck with it. And it's really lucrative, and involves far less buffets. And, and very much fewer casinos, so they're, they're, they're bang on board with it. But at the same time, how long can they keep this, this gig going kind of thing? Yeah. Mm. Their image has gotten ahead of them, and, they need, and, they, and you're mm. trying to... But it's all becoming unwieldy and overbalancing. Um, and I provided some notes about the hero. I think links out of Wikipedia. But the a classical hero is considered to be a warrior who lives and dies in pursuit of honour. 
and asserts their greatness by the brilliancy and efficiency which they kill. Each classic hero's life focuses on fighting and occurs in a war during an epic quest. Classical heroes are commonly semi-divine, extraordinarily gifted, such as Achilles, evolving into heroic characters through their perilous circumstances. While these heroes are incredibly resourceful and skilled, they are often foolhardy, caught disaster, risk their followers' lives for trivial matters, and behave arrogantly in a childlike manner. So yes, that's uh, the idea that yes, their uh, fame is preceding them apace, and you're just you're there just trying to make sure the entire thing doesn't topple over but i do like the idea that you've also got this this your story which is about dealing with the relationship within your team and you're making sure that your family is okay and just trying to keep mm. this whole ooh a dread hack do you think okay what are we thinking dread well, the one with the jenga tower Precisely, yeah. If you wanted to play on that sort of unbalanced, unstable kind of vibe, yeah, literally when you're... Um, I haven't played... Have you had a, have you had a chance to play it? I have not, no. And to be fair, um, Jenga in particular is difficult for me. Mm, fair enough. Twitchy, twitchy people and Jenga, not a great combination. Just going to throw that one out mm. there. Um... <laughs> There's also a there's also a romance a romance themed one called Starcrossed. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I did not know that. But you know, if if the if you want to mechanically push it in the direction of yes, you're doing a thing, pull two blocks. Um mm. and yeah. So you're actively courting the disaster of eventually this is going to come crashing down. Oh, I think if in that sort of in that sort of story that the disaster is coming. It is inevitable. Mm. <laughs> it's just that how the story plays out towards the, the moment of crisis. And that one's definitely the ideal if the if the hero is a showboating asshole. Because, I mean, nobody's going to care that much. No, just out of their depth. But the... Yeah. yeah. And, and Yeah, or out of their depth. But, but yeah, so yeah. The, the thing where the, the story is going to... Yeah, the hero, bad things are going to happen to the hero is part of the story. Um, yeah, that would be an ideal choice, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, if that's, yeah, if that's the outcome, but yeah, it's the, but part of the consideration is if you, if the, if the support team could walk away, they pro- could walk away, they probably would, but mm. this is their job and this is how they, how they support themselves and their, their dependents. So, oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, mm. I, I like that one. Indeed. Thank you very much, Manu. Um, now, on the, the laser-plated hero um, line, um, Mac chimed in with a comment. Now, from memory, this this is Mac commenting on a um, comment by, uh, by, by somebody else, by Jack, on the notion that when you say laser-plated hero, plating has a very different meaning in the culinary mm. world. Yes. Uh, Mac chimes in with the notion of I'm just going to say that the culinary horror scenario can be rescued by noting that a hero is a type of sandwich which kind of winds this all the way back to your food court wars episode wow that is that is out of the arc is that like a double digit (laughs) I think so yeah it's it's way back in the double digit times in the before the before times yeah yeah there's 
Yes, and I it sort of it made me think of yeah. So there's two options. So it's either yeah, possibly you've got like a high tech sandwich bot assembling sandwiches and slicing the ingredients with a laser, mostly because it looks cool. Or for a vastly more disgusting option, there is a a three D printing technique. I've forgotten what it's called. Where you're basically oh, yeah. using lasers. Um, lasers to interfere with each other to produce precise wavelengths at just the right spot inside a container of liquid to basically print stuff very specifically. So in this case, it's a sandwich constructed in layers using tuned lasers to coax specific molecules out of a, a soup of nutrients. Yes, that is here. That would be um, very high tech. <laughs> Indeed, and basically, you—I mean, I, I feel like that'd be a sandwich nobody wants to eat because, like, here you go, sort of dripping with nutrient goo, and you've—you've <laughs> you've watched it painstakingly assemble a slice of pepperoni. Um, this kind of thing <laughs> from the molecular layer up. Yeah. Indeed, it's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that the Star Trek replicators have that light effect so that nobody actually has to think about what's going on here. Is someone looking at the replicator? Shoot lasers at them so they can't see what's going <laughs> yeah. on. Ah. Put on a, spe- a flashy light effect. Nobody will ever think about what we're actually doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. People people had people had mixed thoughts about the Star Trek Discovery series. I quite enjoyed it. It was at least as batshit as the um, the original series, and you know, relatively easily uh, about as woke. So. That, that's keeping keeping up with it. But one of the episodes they started with this bizarre vista of intertwined um, structures being knitted together by like machines and energy and, and, and so forth. And it's a sweeping expanse and then it pulls back and you realise that somebody's having their uniform printed out in the replicator. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's fair. It could have been so much worse. It could have been a sandwich, um, a cup of tea. Indeed. I don't. Really, I haven't watched the third season of that yet. Is it good? Yeah, it's a bit more. It's a bit more kind of exotic. I mean, they do. They you know, they won't don't spoil this, but they they go places with the ideas that they're doing, and it it kind of leaps gamely off the rails to do a whole bunch of stuff. And it's you know it's 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 good science cool. fiction. Yeah, if you like the characters, they have more. They have more of that stuff going on. Yeah, I did like the characters. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Okay. So yes, that I, I'm quite liking the the. I don't really know what you do with it in a game, but just the um, the sandwich the, the sandwich making bot or the the food prep bot bot inexplicably using lasers to to cut stuff up like. And I'm assuming if you use a laser to cut through a tomato, what you end up with is a badly grilled tomato. Because, like, energy transfer is a thing. I it could be a perfectly grilled tomato. And it could, it could also yeah. be a perfectly grilled tomato, but it's, realistically, it's kind of a... I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure what you do with that in a game, other than just have it as this thing. Yeah. It's it's just kind of like a thing, and you know the energy transference from lasers thing is you know one of those important things imparted to us by the Uplift Wars books. I think it might have been the specific the Uplift War thing by by David Brin, where there's like these colossal alien space spaceships having sort of hovering in the atmosphere. It's like people sort of around going, are they going to are they going to fight? 
And it's like, I really hope not, because any one of those sort of multi-terawatt weapons, if they're discharged in the atmosphere, will kill us from here. <laughs> ah, yeah, there is that. Just the, just the scatter. Uh, mm, yes. Oh, look, it's heated up the um, target to the point where it's emitting gamma radiation. Well, <laughs> that's not good. <sighs> yes. Mm. Okay, that's... Yeah. That's that's a fun one. I'm, I don't know what to do with it, but it is... Other than just mm. have it, like... Yeah, I mean, basically just do, do the um, Star Wars prequels thing, where there's just, like, cool shit happening in the background all the time. Hmm. Though Food Court Wars, it would add an extra level of terror to Food Court Wars. Hmm. Sounds very much like a paranoia or a prop. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Some sort of shit mm. thought. <laughs> Yeah, it's a classic. Hmm. Okay. All right. What do we have next? So next up, we have John's suggestion for episode 161, uh, Cognitive Dissidents, uh, which obviously did not make it into the actual recorded episode, or we wouldn't be doing this here now. So here goes. After many trips from Mars to Earth, that, that South African expat, Leon the Goose, Goosen, owner of Nikola Motors, Astra-X, and other international and now interplanetary corporations, got his one millionth colonist in Gooseville. Then, out of the blue, he declared Goosetania a sovereign nation on Mars, and most importantly, he can no longer be taxed. Declaring himself the CEO for life... John? John, are you being topical? (laughs) Oh, he is being so topical. Declaring him, himself the CEO for life of Gusitanium, he and his loyal shareholders on Mars will forge a new nation on the Red Planet. Since all the shareholders are ipso facto employees of Gusitanium, they have to adhere to the corporate constitution. This means that all communications with anyone on Earth must be vetted by the corporate PR office. Also, since Gooseville is a company town, residents, food, life support, etc. are all provided as part of the shareholders' employment and everyone on the colony is an employee of Gusitania. As long as you're a productive worker, life on the colony is... okay. Some of the colonists, however, expected better treatment for paying for the privilege of being the Goose's tax dodge. They were sorely mistaken. If you're not a productive part of the corporation, first there's retraining, then re-education, then minimal residency. Being on minimal means just enough calories and water to live on, and a... 75 centimeter by 200 centimeter sleeping tube to live in. Most on minimum ended up uh, taking voluntary retraining to get a job as a sanitation worker or human waste reclamation. Needless to say, living under the auspices of the Goose's HR troopers and automated security systems is onerous to say the least. The Goose and his immediate family are the only people living like kings on Mars. So the PECs are New Age serfs under Lord Goosen. They have discovered that Anything above basic survival costs goose bits, the local cryptocurrency, and you earn barely enough to afford anything above the occasional treat. Negative opinions about the goose and goosetania are frowned upon, and continued bad behaviour will be rewarded with re-education or special work in the tunnels. No one comes back from the tunnels. The colony is to grow, so having children is encouraged, but other than your surname, your Child is whisked off to the creation raised to be a good corporate citizen. Needless to say, this won't do. The trouble is, trying to use force will result in a brief excursion by the perpetrators onto the surface of Mars in your birthday suit. Most people just keep their heads down and try not to make waves. 
Therefore, the only way to change things on Mars is to change the mindset of the shareholders, including the ones that really matter, the second-tier shareholders. Goosen and his family are first-tier. Their opinions count more than the common shareholders, so it's time for some cognitive dissent and try to change the minds of the second-tier. This game works better with a more storytelling RPG, like Fate or other types, where social engineering is the goal and not open conflict. Oh, and nobody knows what happens to anybody who gets too old and retires. Oddly enough, Protein is back on the menu after they go to Shady Acres Retirement Community. This game can end with a Pyrrhic victory on the part of the players, with Gusitania a failed colony, but there's a chance to put in place a more democratic government. Wow. That's, uh... Super dystopic and entirely too um, compelling. <laughs> it's a little bit more relevant than uh, perhaps uh, one might like. There's also a link which will be in the show notes to a uh, super redundant com- comic on the topic. So. Ooh. We're just talking about paranoia. This is... <laughs> yeah, it has a certain something to it, doesn't it? Yes, indeed, indeed. And if it doesn't sound like you get clones, sadly, or actually it's probably an upside, considering. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe we, we don't want the goose to have cloning technology as well. That, that feels mm. bad. <laughs> so, that's that's the thing. It's it's quite a nice setup for for effectively forcing the players to not just go with open revolution because an open revolution in that circumstance isn't going to work when when the guy in charge literally has their hand on the the control for the air supply rioting and we're going to take this place over really isn't going to work so that's kind of nice in that regard people have to be socially manipulative they have to be clever about it Uh. either that or they just need to go and kill him and nick the remote control i mean either, either would work yeah, it certainly reflects a, the reality of some situations where it's not just, woohoo, we will have a, get a makeshift banner and blow some stuff up and it'll all be sweet. So, yeah, it'll be, um, yeah. There aren't mm. many games that, well, that I'm, I'm familiar with that focus really solidly on that sort of mind share kind of, or like swaying public opinion as a, as a, mm. as a as a concept normally it's quite personal you do the thing because you want you want to change the situation and it's immediately in front of you yeah so yeah that's a that's that's challenging for sure diaspora um various bits of fate have had a fairly solid kind of social combat landscape mechanic Mm, mm. written into it which feels like it would be appropriate for this kind of thing of so yeah, moving, moving the protect or moving the uh, the second tier shareholders from one bit to the other, finding points of leverage to make them feel that like change is possible and necessary and and uh, good for people in this circumstance. Undermining, yeah, it's actually a little bit like my current Blades in the Dark, where the uh, Red Fox crew are trying to ferment revolution. And not have the city collapse at the same time. And that's kind of on the fringes of what Blaze the Dark does as a game. So I'm going to, so I'm working on mechanics to go and help that. So that they're, uh, well, they're fundamentally still a bunch of sneak thieves and, and revolutionaries. They can influence what's going on. Hmm. I'm just sort of thinking, 
thinking as it were about the the end game of this, kind of assuming it works, assuming you get, well, assuming you get some of the second tier folks on side, then presumably you can start to change bits of your own situation, if not the entire situation. I mean, you are you are in this effectively cut off from from the outside world, but if you've managed to move sort of the right people on side, that maybe allows you to change things. You can yeah, I can sort of see a game where you're you're playing the you're playing the political angle and the 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 hearts and minds angle, but you're also starting to be able to reach out to well, folks outside of the sovereign planet of Gusitania to sort of line up, okay, so this is, you know, what happens next when we get all the second tier shareholders on side? Can we vote him out as CEO? Would he Mm. leave? Trying to avoid certain political parallels here, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Yes. Maybe just breaking the, you know, his direct connection with the environment systems and saying, look, you, you were hired to be the environment manager you need. You should make sure that it's running. Convince them they should be making sure it's running best for everybody, not just mm. not just them and their yeah and mm. their boss. And it does make you wonder whether there are yeah. other people who have escaped from Gusitania. Are there sort of are there tiny little pirate colonies in holes and rocks out there somewhere? Mm. It's possible because that's the thing. It would have been. There would have been. It would have been done in stages. And maybe there are sort of old tunnels and things like that. And one of the um, one of the issues with somebody going right, I, John Billionaire, will go to Mars. I will take all of the bestest, smartest people with me because I'm that sort of who is it? Wrote the Fountainhead and and Rand. Yeah, I'm just that sort of Randian superhuman that I'm going to go to this world and t- and, and take all of these these. Fabulous people who know how to do something. Right, I've landed on a planet where my money means nothing. And the expertise of every other person is the thing keeping us alive. Ooh. What? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> mm, I, that, 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 that's more the salutary story of the, the short-lived tale of the failed Gusitanian uprising. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, even the, even the, the meanest, least capable member member of this um, community has technical skills uh, and knowledge vastly in excess of my of my own because my my skills were accruing wealth mm. which i have <laughs> from a system which i have severed myself from yeah yes stock market knowledge and understanding of compound interest yes <laughs> yeah so i was like mm, yeah maybe they've got other things they could probably do but fundamentally telling everyone they are in charge and making them believe it suddenly becomes a lot harder when you can, when you are able to know everybody semi-personally and they can all sort of compare notes and every one of them has a vital function to perform. It's like, Mm. yes, I mean, you you can't just take all of the security stuff, but also you've got to make sure that you're somehow rewarding them with the, uh, Again, falls back to what, what what resource did you that you that you personally control can keep the security people in line. For a start, if they get any ideas, you're screwed. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So presumably, presumably, he got he got far enough that he was able to convince people to give him all of the uh, 
all of the power. So the, the cult of personality got him to a point. But yeah, it depends on... I mean, if there are enough people in the society that say, this is working great. Oh, there are some... There are some... There are some dissenters. They... You know, we can't do anything about that. But everything else works great. But if there are, like, legitimate problems that they're, that they're just, like, bringing up and saying, hey, this sucks. Why are we doing it this way? Mm, I do like that. It... It puts me in mind of... There's a book, Marooned in Real Time, by Verna Vinge, or Vinge. I've never been 100% sure how to pronounce that surname. Hmm. Where you've got, effectively, this this small community of time travellers. One of whom, or one small group of whom, has basically set it up to take over by effectively sabotaging every other option. These do constitute... This is the one with the bubbles? This is the one with the bubbles, yeah. So there, yeah. it's very much a one-way time travel thing. It's you, you put yourself in stasis and you wait, sort of time travel. So it's 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 only forward. And yeah, my assumption is that yeah, the the goose is maintaining power, well, would maintain power in the event of any serious problems, simply because they hold all the cards. That there is, mm. yeah, there, there 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 is no water, air, or power without them. So they get to do these things. Mm, all of the, all of the. Let's think, if you build anything in space, you build it with massive redundancy. Otherwise, you're full and you will die. Mm. Um, But they have routed all of the controls and so forth through something, all of the the, the, the shutoffs and so forth, through something they control. However, for things to be massively redundant, they can't be dependent on a central control. So it's it's at the point where you go, right, uh, so... What happens if we if we if we cut all the uh, data lines from the, the pleasure dome to um, the place that actually makes it? <laughs> like, well, we're fine, uh, and they're pressing a lot of buttons that won't do anything. And if they want to keep getting, you know, Mars lettuce and water and O2, they'll come to some sort of arrangement. Did you have to call it the pleasure dome? Just, no, but I I, I did. <laughs> I really did. I know it's a Xanadu reference, but still, just oh. <laughs> um. look on the assumption we're going to other planets. Some we are going to build structures that are dome-shaped because of their simple geometric sort of stability and and you know the ability to hold pressure and so forth. And, and you know, one of those people like is going to be a colossal pervert. True, and and you know it's like what's the fourth name that's going to come up? Hmm. <laughs> Sorry to spring this on you. <laughs> no, 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 that's fair. That's, that's, that's okay. I, I, I just got briefly diverted to the thought of just sort of the hot box dome, which is this endless clouds of stoned people. Um, but we're getting off to- topic. Flight, yeah, spinning around in microgravity. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. That's Snoop Dogg in the uh, center in sort of a lotus position, just at one with the universe. Um, yeah, it could happen. Mm. That seems reasonable. That seems like a thing that would happen. Space tourism has um, has yeah picked up lately. Cough cough, um, mm. and I wouldn't begrudge. Yeah, yeah, the the, the, yeah, the occasional astral toke. Anyway, so yes, um, that would be. It's grim, and it is it's so damn. Oh yeah, grim. it it would it would go grim because there is the what happens to the old people? What happens to those guys who were. Asking, yeah, trying to organise a union. Where is everybody? <laughs> there is going to be a 
intrinsic level of moral recalibration anyway because it's like when you have a situation it's like oh no someone's fallen in a lake i will i will get i will i will dive in and rescue them it doesn't work like that in space if somebody <laughs> outside in a, in a uh, you know a depressurized environment is like mm. they fucked it, it, yeah, it's really, ah, dang, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be like the, the green boots guy on the, uh, the, the, tr- the trek up the Himalayas. They're going to be slumped there staring at you, possibly for centuries. <laughs> yeah, for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be, uh, so you, you, you certainly want to drill into people that you don't make the situation worse. You do all the checks, you, you everyone checks everyone else's seals everybody ch- uh, checks everyone else's work and it's just that that if that's a um the belter sort of safety in sort of over engineer to the nth degree kind of stuff that's going to come out of it and you know mm. maybe if someone isn't is like is can't trust folks enough to work with them in that sort of way they are just going to come yeah they're going to just you know, step out of the dome one day without all their um their their seals locked down, and it's going to going to be sorry a sorry end with them. So yeah, maybe that is the um that is the thing. It's certainly not something you're going to be able to do in an isolated fashion. We have it pretty good at this planet for the meantime, so uh, we should enjoy that. I did have a fairly dark no, I'll, I'll walk that back. An extremely dark thought of suppose all this works. They they've fomented their rebellion. Their, well, their, their, their corporate rebellion, eventually sort of bring enough people on side that they can simply get access to the Goose's Pleasure Dome and just find... I don't know, I just had the image of going in and finding it's just covered in years of dust and the atmosphere balances entirely off and nobody's been alive in there for a really long time. Hmm. I don't know why this would be. I don't know who's actually running the show and who's... Who's who's sort of putting the fake, um, you know, who's, who's faking the, the continued existence of the the CEO for life of Gusitania? It was just an image mm. that struck me. Is this another um, John reference to geese? Did he suggest the goose deucer or goosidra? He did. Was my oh goosidra? Hmm. Troubles at home, son. Uh, I mean, geese are geese are terrifying. Um... <laughs> the geese are terrifying. <laughs> Geese, geese can be terrifying, um, and they know it. And all right-thinking people should be uh, should be afraid of them. And so, if they have even Indeed. more pecking ability, that's just so much worse. Yes, so much worse. Hmm. So anyway, so yeah, I don't know. Is, is there a particular goose problem in John's yeah, area maybe. of the world? Do we know? I don't know. We we'll have to we we'll have to see if there are some sort of rampaging goose demic. He does live on. very close to Canada, I believe. Or at least Ooh, closer to Canada God. than either of us. Oh, yeah. Which, to be fair, is not difficult. <laughs> not, a, not a high bar to, to, to cross, no. Mm. Mm. Maybe Australia. Maybe if you live in Australia, you're further away from Canada. But, yeah. Um, you're probably close to geese, though. Mm. Australia having all the is... world's most terrifying animals. <laughs> Wait a minute, I think I figured that, figured this out. Maybe maybe he's trying to send us messages. John, blink if there is a goose in the room with you. <laughs> Wait, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Damn. Okay. <clears throat> we'll send help. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, one 
one further wrinkle I might add to this is this might benefit from blowing up the scale a bit and maybe making it a slightly board game driven experience because you could do some interesting like maps with like the the domes and tunnels and so forth and maybe the you know the mechanics point towards like securing influence in the various parts of the uh, the the settlement and making and you know and keeping your um and keeping your forces not too spread out not too not too uh, easily surrounded and you know doing that sort of um that sort of thing not strictly speaking a war game per se but maybe a mind game nice see what you did there hmm hearts and minds and all that hearts and minds on mars <laughs> nice martian hearts no that's too silly yes <laughs> it would probably be a awesome telenovela um so sweeping romantic soap opera in later in the century though mm. all right thank you for that john it was that was all kinds of disturbing <laughs> kudos and to finish off we have a comment from mac um flatteringly he said he was uh drawn to the pitch that i came up for cognitive dissonance and that, as I recall, this one was basically Herman's head slash, slash inside out. But in the middle of a corporate takeover. Yes, but, 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 but in the middle of a regime change. Um, he says, I have this image in my brain, the protagonist kicking a door in the exact moment of the t- takeover. And all, all these low-level mooks staring at puzzlement as they just stand there while inside their head pandemonium reigns. And... I kind of like that as an aversion of, is, is it Dashiell Hammett who said, if it gets boring, just have a uh, guy with a gun rush into the room? It's like, yeah, and then have, <laughs> have it, the, the, but you're the guy with the gun, but also everyone else is also the guy with the gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody is the guy with the gun. Yeah. And also you have no idea why you're there because nobody was paying attention to the logs. Oh, it was. It's it's probably in there. It's just that you were a bit distracted and you weren't expecting to be. Yes, your 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 change managers fall apart, fallen apart a bit, and you weren't expecting to be in the middle of the 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 climax of the ultimate mission when that happened. It's like everything's been fine. <laughs> let but let let's do this before they send us on a really perilous, dangerous. Oh, we're on it already. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, somebody kicks in the door and announces, I'm going to open a bagel shop! <laughs> Shit. Ooh, I like bagels. <laughs> it's like, shut up, George. I know we're a very entertaining way of it going. <laughs> yes, definitely if, you're, uh, if you're the, your protagonist is in the middle of a hard-boiled adventure, that would be the time to have it, have it take off. Just as, you know, if it was a some sort of kung fu epic, it'd be when you're facing down against the... Uh, the 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 first lieutenant of the the villain or something the fuck is that yeah that that moment where it's like aha now the um the hero will prove their mettle why are they talking to themselves <laughs> why did i ever leave that noodle stand i really like making noodles for people how did i get into this in the first a noodle stand still a thing <laughs> yeah so awesome yes i like that especially Especially the man with the man with the gun runs into the runs into the room, <laughs> and then thinks about it for a bit. <laughs> Ideally, while talking to themselves. Well, I am kind of imagining one of those bits from 
one of those bits from Emperor's New Groove where you've got Kronk just having an extended conversation with his his shoulder angel and shoulder devil, and you've got sort of, um, you know the protagonists and the main villain kind of looking at each other and just shrugging. It's like, yeah, we have no idea what he's doing. Yeah, but you, no, I got nothing here. <laughs> yeah, awesome, good stuff. Hmm. All right, and that takes us, I believe, to the end of the audience ideas. So, uh, no, no special prizes for this one. You're all our, you're all our favourites. <laughs> we love you all equally. <laughs> Indeed, and we'll be back to our usual format in three weeks for Starfleet Bagels. I was never sure whether this was a reference. Cause was there a game Starfleet Battles? Yes, there was. Okay. I'm reasonably Did it sure. involve baked goods in any capacity? I'm pretty confident only incidentally. Right. I feel like I would have remembered that, but I'm not sure whether I ever played it. I remember playing something where I got the shit blown out of me in a, um, in a shuttlecraft by something that wasn't a shuttlecraft and was much larger. <laughs> it sounds like that would happen, but it, yeah. wasn't, it probably wasn't a Klingon pan au chocolat. Pan au chocolat! I mean, that does actually work. <laughs> my god the Klingons have been French and disguised the entire time why did nobody tell me this I sure uh, let's go with that <laughs> yeah okay audience we have reached that point of the episode that point being the bit where Craig should stop talking uh, so I will say thank you for listening catch you next time for Starfleet Bagels and have a pleasant day indeed bye everybody Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!